Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today we are diving back into one of our classics, none other than Divine Spotlight. And this time around, we are going to be talking about Ogma. One of the stronger gods, typically in the Forgotten Realms, and our guest today will be Joaquin from RPG Match. We'll learn more about that amazing website and all that he is doing. But rather than waste a single second more, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? The flight meat back on the menu, boys. So today for the meet, we have someone who I've actually been on a call with before, but we did not record the last one. We thought it would be better to record the second one. So this is Joaquin from RPG Match, a site that doesn't want you to roll the dice on who you play TTRPGs with. Thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It seems like I did well enough on our last call. You decided a second one would be totally fine. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's absolutely my honor. I'm excited to get to the meet because it's been a while since we've done a Divine Spotlight, and I'm really excited to get back into that. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself that you think the listeners would enjoy finding out about? Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I can talk about, you know, kind of my, my TTRPG origin story. You know, uh, I am, you know, middling age, and I got uh, interested in TTRPGs actually in preschool. It was, uh, I, I found the, the first edition monster manual for Dungeons and Dragons in preschool on our preschool bookshelf. And I remember opening it up and flipping through and looking at all of these pictures and just thinking like, wow, this is amazing, but actually not being able to, to read all of what the book was. And I had no idea what a lot of that stuff was. What, what's AC? What's go Right? All of those things. And it wasn't until third grade that I actually... I had a teacher that for some reason in third grade, they they had a, you know, the red box and she let me take it home. uh, And that was great. And I did uh, actually solo RPGs because I didn't have anybody to play with. Um, And it was later that, you know, I I had a group of friends and we started playing, um, but that was it. And I played through um, elementary school, high school, you know, into college. Um, And then I had kids fairly young. And the, the joke was, I used to have hobbies. Now I have kids. And so uh, that was that was where I sort of fell out of it. You know, it was after college. Um, and as soon as my daughter got old enough that I couldn't like rock her to sleep while I was asking somebody else to to roll the dice for me, that was kind of the, you know, I, I had to take a hiatus. It ended up being like 15 years, something along those lines. And it, it was really the pandemic that brought me back into it because I, I, I had sort of aged out in three, five, and then I, I opened a book, I think in, in the fourth edition, and it felt too much like World of Warcraft for me. I was like, ah, I'm not going to do it. But when the pandemic hit, I wanted to do something with my kids that wasn't connected to the computer. So I said, well, well let me see what you know, D&D has been up to over these you know, past decade plus. And so I, I started actually listening at that point to some actual play podcasts because I got a book and I was like, I don't really know how to do this anymore. Let me listen to some actual play co- podcasts. I, I got into a number of different uh, tabletop podcasts, but I, I ran the game for my kids, for my 12-year-old uh, my son and for some of his friends. And I was like, you know what? I'd love to play with some adults. 
And I said, I'm going to log on to the internet and jump on whatever application or website has been created to, to do this magical matching between, you know, people who want to play games and, you know, figure out to ask me all the right questions. And I was like, Oh, it doesn't exist. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I guess I'll build it. And then, and I was like, I just have to ask the right questions. Cause I do software in my day job. I was like, I just have to ask the right questions. It'll be easy. And I was like, what are the right questions? And so that's actually what started me on uh, TTRPG Twitter. I started doing a bunch of polls and asking questions. Really fascinating stuff came out of it. Started to digress so much. But like, here's an example. You ask people, how important is it to show up on time to a tabletop gaming session? And and 90% of people say, it's super important. And I was like, wait a minute. I've been to way too many gaming (laughs) sessions to actually believe this. And then I asked it in a different way. And I said, okay, how late is late when it comes to showing up? to a TTRPG session. That's where you see the difference. It's like, some people are like five minutes is late. Some people are like 15 minutes is late. Some people's like half an hour. And some people are like an hour is late. Well, you can imagine somebody who's like five minutes late and somebody who's an hour late and and putting at the same table, that's not going to be great. So that's, that's how we got started. That's how RPG match, you know, came about. Perfect segue into question number two is what what else are you working on in regards to that? Or are there other projects you want to talk about real quick? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh I I'm I'm actually not playing any TTRPG games right now because I'm doing so much with you know, essentially all the meta stuff. So I have a a project that I'm working on with a a friend of mine, uh, Ivan Potoknik. Uh, We we have a project called Many Realms where we're looking for, you know, uh, underappreciated TTRPG brands and helping to, you know, bring it to like the social media spotlight. So um, the the key brand right now is Ed Greenwood, um, who is the creator of the Forgotten Realms, the, you know, the de facto world of D&D, who, as it turns out, is is probably the nicest human being on the planet by far. Yeah. He's never made any money. And he was just like, when I think it was TSR, you know, first came to him because they wanted a a kitchen sink realm is the way they put it. Um, He was just excited that they, that they were, he was going to get printed maps, right? He was like, Oh, it's going to be so cool. I'm going to get printed maps. But we said, Ed, you should be actually, and Ed is huge on Twitter. He's been on Twitter for a really long time, just answering questions. That's actually how I got to know him. I asked a question. I was like, Ed, are there toilets in Waterdeep? And like a couple weeks later, he replies. And yeah. it turns out there are toilets in Waterdeep, sidebar. Um, you know, we can we can look at all of that. But after you know, interacting with him, I was like, hey, can I make you a website? you know, so we can, you know, showcase the books at least that, that you, you get credit for. And, and he, he makes no money on uh, all of the old stuff that he's written, which is tragic. And so it's only the new stuff that that's been printed that he sees like a tiny fraction on. So with Ivan, we've been able to put together a YouTube channel and a Patreon. I get to write Ed checks every month. It's awesome. I went to Gen Con and we hung out and, you know, he's just a, a great human being. I can't speak highly enough. Uh, he deserves everything that, that he is, is receiving right now and 10 X. So I'm hoping that that continues to grow. Uh, but we're also looking at, you know, how we can help other tabletop creators and um, lighten the alert, uh, the burden of uh, video editing and, and all of that stuff. It's tough to be a creator and, uh, and an editor and a marketer and all of this stuff that you do. And, 
that was so well. You got you got to stack a lot of hats on not as many heads. Yeah, but yeah, we've had Ed on, and it was it's one of the few times we've had a two parter because you're like Ed Greenwood's talking, you listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and I've watched all the the recent content, and it's great. I mean, even just the production quality, or just hearing that many stories um, and making yeah. them more accessible. Because it's not like he wasn't telling those stories, but you're you're getting it to a point where everyone is getting to hear those stories. Yeah, putting it on YouTube and and the the it's really kind of magic because I I found out about Ivan through a, his previous podcast, and it was a tabletop podcast. And when that kind of, I was an avid listener uh, to that and then it kind of fell apart, but I had, I had reached out to him on Twitter and I was like, Hey, do you know who Ed Greenwood is? He was like, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, okay, let me introduce the two of you. And so it's been really great because Ivan has these, you know, really lofty, like production values. He's a perfectionist. He's, he's really incredible in that way. And then Ed Greenwood just Ed Greenwood. He could just talk, and his his knowledge is encyclopedic about just like everything. It's like, um, and it and it just feels like I listen to it all the time. I would shout out to his Patreon. Go check out Patreon. Look for Ed Greenwood. It's totally worth it. Um, a, a lot of awesome content that's on there, um, and um, some merch. Uh, it's it's great. Okay, surprise question. Yeah. What is your favorite Batman storyline? There's multiple statues behind you, and I felt like I would hit you out of left field um, with that question. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm going to be such a disappointment because uh, actually these were gifts from DC Comics, who was a a customer of ours. Okay. So, like, I do like Batman, um, but my daughter is actually more into the the Batman comic book storyline, which I think is what you're referring to because if I was like – you know, I like the Dark Knight Returns. You would immediately take my nerd card and no, and any Batman property is on on the table. Look, I'm, I'm like, if you enjoy George Clooney as Batman, that's fine. Is there's a there's a lot of fun to be had. You know, uh, I, I I do enjoy the I do enjoy the 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 Batman franchise, but honestly, the best Batman character ever was the the joker uh heath ledger you know his joker and oh, just yeah. how that he would do the the reprisals of like like do you see these scars and he just kept going like and he would tell these gripping stories and you're just like wait but that's not what you said before like what what's the reality and i thought that was um particularly brilliant i accept i fully accept your answer oh i'm supposed to answer this too that's the the foolish part in me was i didn't i was so excited to ask the question I was not then prepared to answer. I do love the animated series too. Yeah. Cause that, that, that actually, I think had such a cool aesthetic. Um, and, and it was really the, especially the stuff that they did for like the pilot, which was like the, the higher quality animation. Then, you know, they're like, okay, we got our run on, you know, Saturday morning and, and it, it did whatever, but the, the pilot with like Clayface was just really cool and, and kind of gritty and, you know, noir inspired. I thought that was, um, I, I think actually, um, if you look at Harley Quinn, which came out of that series, that was a hugely influential series and, and just really incredible. Also the, the voiceover actor. So I, I'm, I'm trying to reclaim my nerd card here. The voiceover actor who was the voice of Batman. I think he recently uh, passed away, but he was also really incredible and stretched across a whole bunch of different franchises into the, the video game. I loved uh, Arkham Asylum. 
I wasn't so much a fan of the the city sort of like open world version. I really liked that the you know sort of sneaking through um, in that video game property. But the fun crossover was the voice of Batman was the same as the animated series, if I'm remembering that properly. Yeah, so it's Kevin Conroy, and then it's also yes. why Mark Hamill refuses to do anything because his, his obviously Mark Hamill gets to choose whatever he wants to do and whatever he doesn't want to do. And his thing is, I saw an interview where he says, if was Kevin doing it? Okay, I'll be there. Kevin's mm-hmm. not doing it, then I would like to decline. And so, unfortunately, he will decline all offers to be the Joker moving forward because Kevin will know, you know, can no longer be in that role. That's so wild that Mark Hamill is is as prolific a voice actor as he actually yeah. is. I, I'm trying to think of a of a parallel and it can't because like he was he was like on screen, you know. Patrick Stewart. He got he was basically Honored into not being allowed to win awards anymore. <laughs> the, uh, he had won so many awards, they were basically like, Sir, because he's also knighted. So, Sir Patrick Stewart, yeah. um, no, you've transcended winning these awards. Uh, you're not allowed to compete anymore. You know what's also amazing about, about Patrick Stewart is I love him. Like, he has two, he, he did two iconic roles, and I can't think of anybody else who, who quite pulled that off. Right with Captain Jean Luc Picard, of course. Right, uh, I was actually a big uh, watcher of uh, Next Generation. It's my favorite Star Trek. Um, I had trouble getting into the other ones, but correct answer. Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, and then the other one is a Professor X. I thought he was just brilliant. So, and 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 those are such iconic roles, and yet to be played by the, he he was kind of the same person, right? In in both yeah. roles, but but such a great actor. You were just like, yes, you're both of them. At some point, I wish Professor X would have like engage, and then <laughs> and then they go attack. Per- well, okay, so I have a podcast about Young Justice, so my default answer is Young Justice mm. um, for something way off the beaten path. Batman Ninja is an absolute must watch. Do not watch the English dub; mm. they were not given enough time, and they really rewrote the script, like to the point where I watched the English dub and then the Japanese sub, and they are not the same. Like mm. the, the words are not the same. So there you go. That sounded somewhat pretentious of me, but I stand, I stand by it. I watched them both. Um, I'm telling you which one I liked more. But now that we've dropped all of that knowledge, we can jump into talking about Agma. I don't know that. Thankfully, this is a podcast medium and neither you nor I need to spell it um, because we talked uh, before we started recording that both of us didn't do a great job when we were trying to trying to do it beforehand. But the big question I have to you, and it is not a small one, and I fully understand that, but like for you, who is Ogma? So for me, Ogma, well, Ogma the Binder, you know, he's the the god of inspiration, invention, and knowledge, the patron of bards. And so you would think that I love bards, but actually I despise bards as written in 5e. It's sort of comical. It's something that I will periodically will shout out on Twitter, just saying like, you know, if you had to remove one class, that would probably be it. Because they're not a spellcaster class. They shouldn't be a spellcaster class. That's my beep with with 5e bards. But uh, Agma, uh, the thing that I love about Agma is is being the god of knowledge, right? And so when you said, hey, who do you want to speak to? I want to speak to the god of knowledge. Um, and I think that that's a, a really cool kind of part of the pantheon. It crosses over uh, a bunch of different places. Also, uh, in in sort of the older canon, 
he was also, I think the God of sages, not that there's a sage class, um, but you know, that the God who would be, you know, the, the place where it was actually the holder of the libraries. So the, the temple of Agma would be in a, in a place where that was, they would have a, a large library and uh, sp- specifically in Waterdeep, because, you know, uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy. That was where, you know, the, the largest library was. And, you know, it, it wasn't a public library in terms of you couldn't just like waltz in. Uh, but that was a, a, a big repository of, of knowledge within that city, which was kind of cool. And like you said, the knowledge um, and then hearkening to the bards. It's one of those patrons that are not. No, not patron. Someone could be a patron of Agma and be so very different from a next patron of Agma. Mm-hmm. The idea that the person could just be a bard or the next person could be very into wrestling, which is always like throws me for for a loop. But like that, that seat of knowledge, uh, because I was looking at a lot of things in research and someone was ranking the power of gods. Mm-hmm. And basically below Agma was the god that was in charge of death and literally like leading into like well how do you have this person who's just in charge of knowledge be so powerful that i would rank them more powerful than death and one of the things that i also heard and i was i think it stuck with me and it's like that kind of thing that you add to an npc to say is that nothing is created before the idea has been created Mm -hmm. so the idea that like knowledge and inspiration that's the only reason you got it you have anything. Nothing's yeah. just going to spring to life out of, uh, well, it's D&D. So I take that back a little bit. I guess in the real world, few things are just going to spring to life with no no idea before them. So the thought is they are so powerful because everything else that happens, good, bad, or anywhere in between, in some way can be accredited to Agma because you had that seed, you had that idea in your head. Yeah. Well, and, and there was... um. There was a really interesting, it was on the Patreon. I don't know if it's made it to the YouTube channel yet, but conversation with Ed, where he digresses about um, the gods. And and one of the things that he's pointed out repeatedly in terms of, you know, Ed's canon world, right? <laughs> Which is my canon world right? as, as, as well. But Ed Greenwood talks about the gods pantheon not being as clear cut. Right. He's he's like with that it, when it's been filtered down, you know, to the mortals, you know, there's a lot of, OK, this is how it fits and this is where it goes. But the gods are always vying for power and don't really acknowledge one's dominion over over anything else. I mean, one of the things is uh, invention. Right. That seems to go right into the space that you would expect Gaunt to be in uh, in the Forgotten Realms. But um you know, there's a there's a whole thing. Uh, I I think it's on like a Legends Q and A where he gets into that and kind of talks about you know deities and and how they interact, which is pretty cool. Yeah, working with Gond. The other one is like I know Mistra working really heavily with that because then you have these you yeah. know this arcane knowledge, these druidic knowledge, and like those it's those things as well. And I think for simplicity's sake, at a table, often a single character looks to a single it makes it a little easier in the process of things because there are mechanical attributes that are tied directly to that am i a cleric of my domain is this i look towards these things now in reality of reality if you will of the world someone who 
follows Gond, let's say, tooth and nail, would also probably, you know, say prayers or pay homage to Agma all of the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of wizards would obviously look to Mistra for that power, but would also look to Agma and give thanks in that same way, or seek out Agma to find the extra information, or, you know, have to do something for the people that follow Agma just to get in, to even look at the books that they're wanting. Want. You know what's also interesting is um, Ed's also described dead gods, right? So gods that used to exist and, you know, for whatever reason, and they may not be dead explicitly, but they completely fallen out of worship. And so there's actually kind of layers and layers within the Forgotten Realms of, you know, different pantheons and the way you know, things were interpreted in the past. So it's super, super interesting. It's an amazing tapestry to build a, a campaign on. And I know it's definitely putting a cart before the horse, but I often refer to that as the Freddy Krueger rule, where the more power you're giving it, the more powerful it becomes. You know, if, every, exactly. if, nobody's, thinking, if nobody's thinking about him, then he's powerless. But the idea that, you know, a new god could spring or in a new piece of a portfolio could spring into existence because something new starts existing. Mm -hmm. Real world examples are like social media has only been around for how long? So you could easily have that be part of a, you know, a deity's portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be very strong at this point. <laughs> um, but, the, but the idea that like... Another aspect of Agma, again, just just touching real world examples, would be like how are you layering in AI to Agma's portfolio as it continues to develop, those sorts of things. But then again, going back to my previous statement, the reason Agma is so powerful is because everyone thinks about them all the time mm -hmm. because they're the one in you know in theory they're the one inspiring all of these thoughts. There's a lot. There's a lot. Okay, so there's a lot in my head now. So. There's too much in my head. Give me. A, <laughs> I'm trying to. Well, you have out. all of knowledge. Yeah, all knowledge is just. You got to distill it down. Yeah. So one of the questions I have is, how have you added Agma to your own world? Have you have you done it through? Well, I guess this is a philosophical question. How have you seen them added? Because I know of myself, I often don't add any deities until I have a reason to. Be it a character has chosen a class. Be it they've come up against a. Um, NPC that ha is related to it, but this feels like the one that would be pretty easy to layer into most campaigns. Well, one of the things that's that's really interesting, and I, I shout out again to Ed Greenwood, is the reason that the gods in the Forgotten Realms are sort of you know petulant and human like, right, and in terms of their disposition, is because. That's more interesting, right? It's more interesting to use sort of the the Greek gods of like the fallible gods that are that are always kind of scheming and one upping one another and, and trying to do that, uh, than to have something where they're going to have everything laid out and you're railroading your players and all of a sudden you know everything is predestined and predetermined. I think that as kind of an ethos is is a great way to go, right? Make make sure that you you think about like, okay, well, what's the most fun thing to to play? I think in terms of the the way that that I would bring Agma in, really again is kind of centering around those those centers of knowledge. And so whether it's like, you know, some interplay in terms of candle keep or, you know, major centers of knowledge in terms of, you know, water deep or 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 something like that, it would be 
interesting to have a campaign where the the overall thrust was that propagation of knowledge or or getting things out there. Uh, there's also you know the whole mechanism of you know broadsheets. And there was an interesting conversation again with with Ed Greenwood where we he talked about broadsheets actually no matter when they were printed, kind of being an interesting thing, especially when you make it to a small city. So there are merchants who sort of carry along broadsheets from some of the, some of the larger cities. And, you know, you end up in a, a little farming village, you can actually sell that, even if it's from like, you know, two, three years ago, because there's really nothing to do, right? When you're, you're in the middle of nowhere, there is no social media, there is no TV, there is nothing. And so it's what rolls in off the back of a caravan, and you have these broadsheets, you know, sort of these newsprints that that might be, you know, salacious or, you know, like scandal ridden in whatever city, but it's just kind of like, it's just something to do and, and something to read. And so I think one other interesting thing with Ogma would be sort of like, what sort of divine inspiration or seeds are they planting in terms of knowledge that they want to get out there? And how might the characters interact with that in terms of playing some part of a role? And that could be a primary role. It could be sort of like a, a secondary role. Uh, but it would also be interesting if you did have some sort of knowledge or invention or what have you that was propagated and then did have sort of world-changing consequences. Like when we think about Gutenberg Press, right? Being able to print books radically changed the availability of books. It changed the world in a, in a huge way. And you think about, you know, some of the, the knowledge that that's been printed. I mean, the communist manifesto, I'm going to try and stay away from, from, uh, from politics, but it was, it's a really easy read, right? And, and it's, it's remarkably easy to read given the time in which it was written, where people were really verbose, but these types of things sort of go through and, and these, these ideas sweep through and become part of world changing events. So I think that would be kind of interesting would be like the, the divine hand in pushing some sort of knowledge that, you know, as it's going to get seeded out there actually changes things. Yeah. And that's a perfect way to build a campaign because one of the other things about that is I, I always hearken back to this. I think it was on Instagram or somewhere where it's basically a person complaining like, oh, they've got to, these punk kids got their heads in this new technology and they're not looking at the world around them. How could they? And it's a bunch of people reading newspapers. Yeah. Sitting on, sitting on a train reading a newspaper because it's novel to them at that point. It is brand new. It is giving them the information that they otherwise would not have had. But it's still the same conversation you hear now where it's like, oh, they're just staring at their screens all day. But the idea that there is always going to be for whatever reason it may be, opposition to that kind of advancement, regardless. Mm -hmm. My thought was, what if there is a group of people following Agma who are trying to pursue getting more curative magic throughout the world? Mm -hmm. They take it upon themselves to say, hey, this is weird. Why does not everyone have access either to the knowledge of making just simple healing potions? or really basic curative magic that changes the world instantly like that's not a question but who's in opposition to that is it a sect of people following that god of death who say hey whoa 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 you're messing up the game here that's not how this should go is it another group of clerics who don't like that you're helping the common you know the common man or woman be able to do that 
Mm -hmm. And so like the idea that once you're trying to push knowledge at a, you know, a realm scale, there will be opposition. Like that's just, especially in a game, in your TTRPG game, that is not a question. The question is who is opposing it? How are they opposing it? Not whether or not they're going to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So have you ever played a character that has been like a cleric or follower of Agua? I haven't. But I, you know, it's interesting. I I think that the gods add a depth and, and I think that, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that I've been, because I, over the spectrum of, you know, 30 years that I, that I've been playing, I played everything under the sun, right. Or, or very close to it. You know, I've, I've had a chance to indulge all of my younger power fantasies and whatever else. And so I actually kind of find it interesting to, to take a look at this point around the edges. Cause I, there's, there's no, no class I haven't done. I'm not like, Oh, I wish I were a barbarian or I wish I were a bard or I wish I were a cleric or I wish I were a paladin. I've done all of those. And so it's kind of interesting to think about like, okay, well, well, how is this character different? You know, what is it like class aside, you know, I, I, I don't really care about the, the class progression, but I think bringing religion in or bringing, you know, adherence to a God in a, in a character that's not a cleric or a paladin is kind of an interesting and underused uh, way of orienting. And you could have somebody who is profoundly religious and yet has no benefit from that, right? There's no translation into like game influence, but you could be stopping every, you know, every five feet to, to pray or, you know, multiple times a day to pray and sort of, you know, make up some of these like devotions uh, that you have. You could, you could even literally say like, Hey, before I do this, I'm going to, you know, lose my character is going to lose themselves in prayer and really think about, you know, what's the right thing to do at these times. So I think that would be kind of interesting. And, and Agma as knowledge, I think would be kind of a nice overlay there's the obvious one of the bard, but it could be a wizard or it could be, you know, it could be a fighter or it could be, you know, a barbarian. You could really kind of zig where other people would zag. And I think that would, that would add an interesting dimension. And it's funny because it would also interplay differently for people at the table. It'd be like, wait, are you a, a, a cleric? And you're like, no. You're like, well, why are you, what, what's with the whole, you know, devotion to this uh, God thing? And it's like, well, it's just, you know, part of how he was brought up or, you know, it's part of his, his, his faith journey. And I think that that would be kind of interesting. And I like that the idea of characters that entertain other people at the table. I have this idea for a character that I've never actually played, um, which is like, they're just bad at everything. And you know, they're like the sleeper character where it's, yeah. you know, everybody's like, oh, okay, they're, they're weak and they're, you know, not so smart, but they're you know, probably super dexterous. I think it'd be fun to play a character that was just like threes across the board and bad at everything and was just like, wow, you guys are awesome. I think we need some more cheerleaders at the table uh, some of the time because, you know, 5e in particular feels like, you know, when when there's a big bad, it's just like a, a an execution ring <laughs> where everybody's trying to get get their spell in before the a big bad evil guy dies. So you made me think of like, what is a mechanical feature? Because one of the things I think often is if someone's really playing into a character and there isn't any mechanical incentive, always kind of a good idea to try and find what that mechanical incentive is, because then you're saying, hey, I see that you enjoy that as the player. I am enjoying that as the DM. Here's a mechanical response as to 
like, you know, yay. But what I thought was there's divine intervention where if you roll a percentile and it's under your current cleric level, your deity directly engages with. I thought of the other idea is divine inspiration, which I saw a lot on when I looked it up real quick. There was a lot of stuff online and I got real confused real fast, uh, but I don't think I saw what I was looking for, where I would either have that same rule or possibly be marginally less restrictive with it to say, okay, three times your level, if you roll under that, you just hear, here's an inspiration token. Mm. And so like, if you, you know, they're starting their day, they're communing in whatever way that they the character has seen fit to do. And if they roll beneath basically their level times three, here's an inspiration token to start the day. And I would even allow it to be like, if they already had one, give them a second one, things like that. But again, it's just, just promoting that type of uh, role playing and that play at the table, yeah. but, but giving that mechanical direct mechanical effect to them because then it's still, but then that also still, because I think even at twenty, you still only have a sixty percent chance that that would happen each day. So that you know the excitement of that role, I think, would still be there for them. Well, the, the inspiration mechanic with M five B, and I don't know, like we don't have to exclusively talk about five B. I've played a lot of uh, yeah, but. Is, is pretty cool. It's a nice and fairly powerful, you know, balance or unbalancing of, of things. I love characters who who put the shackles on themselves, right? Who, oh, yeah. who, who or or hand you as a, oh gosh, Sly Flourish loves to talk about knives. They're like, hey, this is part of my character's backstory. You know, feel free to pull it out and stab me in the back. <laughs> Anytime you want. I I love any, and I think that's a, that's also kind of a a mark of maturity within, you know, as a player. Cause when I was younger, I just wanted to, you know, kill the dragon and, you know, figure out like how to convert its hide into, you know, the most magical armor that I could. (laughs) Right. But then there's a certain point where you're like, you know, like, I, I want I want some of the challenge. And when we think about the characters that we like, you know, I'm a big, you, you mentioned Batman, you know, Batman, of course, you know, won't, won't kill people sort of famously. And so he sort of puts himself, he puts those shackles on himself, but also it's the, it's the fallible nature of, of people that I think is the, the most interesting. And so I think running away from that power fantasy, like, like I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Wolverine. Right. And he's, you know, Cause he's fallible. Right. Yeah. He, and, and yet he, he also avoids, I think possibly the worst archetype of a character, which is the lone wolf. Right. The, that that's like my least favorite yeah. archetype to DM for. Cause it's like, everybody else is like, we go this way. They're like, I go off in this direction. And sometimes it's just like, I want to role play the shopping for a saddle. Right. <laughs> just like, Oh yeah. You, you give me a, well, what kind of saddle is it, right? <laughs> and everybody else is like waiting, you know, maybe eating some chips or whatever. And so the the lone wolf, the great thing about Wolverine as the quote lone wolf is he's like the lone wolf with the heart of gold, who's really a team player in disguise. Who's been on every team that that's yeah. ever existed, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I am also a huge fan of Wolverine. I literally when the notification came on for you joining the Zoom. I'm, I'm midway through a rewatch of the 97 X-Men, the animated series, because they're going to come out with a new season pretty soon on uh, Disney+. Plus. So, Hugh Jackman or no? Yes. Good, good bad? 
Yes, Hugh Jackman, very good. I, I'm a I'm a big fan too. Yeah, and it's so funny because like I would have been terrible casting because I'd have been like they have to be short. Yeah, well, there was a time where it was the, there was talks of Danny DeVito uh, getting in there and being Wolverine because yeah, there, I think height is an interesting thing. I mean, because I think it boils down to can they carry the essence of the character? Yeah, because. Okay, side tangent on this one. So the films with Tom Cruise as Reacher are very good films. I do not think, though, that he holds the presence of that character the way it is meant in the books. The new series, the new series on Amazon. Oh man, yeah. that guy is crushing it. As just he could just stand there and you'd be like, that guy's a Reacher, right? Yeah. That guy's a Reacher. And then, um, but yeah, that, I mean, it's definitely a different. Tonally, it's it's a little bit different, certainly from those movies. But I but I've really enjoyed the series, and I've enjoyed that um, that actor for a really long time because he was in um, Titans as probably my favorite part about that entire show. Uh, Harken all the way back to Smallville when he played Aquaman. Oh, he was Aquaman. That's funny. I could see that. Yes, Agma. So I was also thinking of whether or not I had had a character um, directly connect with Agma. I feel like it, it, unless it's like Helm or 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 Torm, like somebody who's who's like in combat or or something like that, it's not not so often. I, I have done something with Ill Matter, which was which was interesting. So I so the one I realized that I did do and put those shackles on certainly was I had created a basically a sage wizard. And basically, I'd gone to the point where I think it couldn't have been 5e because of what I say next, where my age had diminished my physical stats, but then you get a boost to your physical or your mental stats. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you've, you've gone into that category where you have a permanent negative one to these, but then that gives you a benefit to these. And so I had chose a very specific sage based character and then was even though i was a wizard i was still focused on akma because his whole goal was to amass as much knowledge and through that of course power as they physically could uh and then they were just crotchety because sometimes i enjoy playing just a uh, grumpy old character yeah I, I god bless you for playing a dwarf i love it you know i'm a, i'm a go-to human because i want to i want to color things in a different way but the other thing is like if somebody's gonna play a non-human character i'd like to see them do it not for the stats like i I, like i'll just hand wave i'll like look if you just want the stats like you've got them right you got the plus you got the minus whatever that's fine but it's like but if somebody like lives for a thousand years that's got to change your perspective right when whenever i play elves you know my in my home game there, there, there was a, a game that, that was entirely homespun and elves were sort of like, they had been pushed out of the, their, their homeland and they were kind of like off in the, the northern forest. When they encountered these human characters, that the PCs, that they would be, they were walking to a destination, you know, to their, to take them, you know, as prisoners and the, the humans started talking and then they would stop and they would look at them. Right. And they, and so Eventually, the PCs found out that the elves wouldn't walk and talk at the same time. And the elves were like, look, if you're going to do something, do it. If you're going to eat, eat. If you're going to sleep, sleep. If you're going to walk, walk. If you're going to talk, talk. And they they were like trying to get to the destination, even though they were prisoners. And and, and so they were like, I guess we walk in silence <laughs> because 
that they would just, you know, they were just like, look, we've got a thousand years. Like let's, let's stop and, and actually engage fully around this thing. Like if you're going to, you know, knit, just knit, don't knit and talk, like, like be in the activity that you're in. So anyway, that's, that's just like one little sidebar, but I think it's, it's cool to kind of think about that and say like, no, I, I, I don't just want the stats. I want the, the worldview. I love layering that back in on the idea of Agma and it, the, a person's approach based on that. It could be that you have an elven character that is focused on Agma. You only ever see them reading one book. You're dead set. They've read it. Obviously, it's, it's not that long. They could have read, they had to have finished it, mm-hmm. but then they're reading it again. Yeah. And they're reading it again. And the idea that they feel that they have the time to really garner as much knowledge as possible by just reading it again. Yeah. And how, how interesting it would be to have that character development and they get a new book. You're just in Candlekeep and you're like, what are you doing? You've been here for weeks. What are you doing? I have to choose the right book. <laughs> and they won't leave. That would be awesome. Yeah. They would- or, or they could, they could like ask about the same sentence. They'd be like, you know, what do you think they meant with such and such and such and such? What, what do you think that they meant with that? And then they'll have a conversation about that. And then they'll like bring it up. It's like, you know, I was thinking about that, what you said. And what do you think, you know, but like over the course of weeks, right? Or, yeah. or in, in game time, you know, just sort of like obsessing and really sort of, but but again, that it, it could be anything, you know, but it's like whether somebody's a kobold or, or an elf or whatever, don't do it for the stat bonus. You know, what I oh, I love the idea of the character also engaging with uh, other NPCs and that always being their engagement is having that passage that they're really just working on, yeah, and then asking, like, oh, hey, 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 hey. I know we're here and going back, I know that this person's here, lone wolf, and trying to buy this saddle, but I've got an important question for you. I'm going to read you this passage, and I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it, <laughs> or, or like in the, in, in the middle of interrogation. Right. Yeah. Somebody's being interrogated. They're like, you know, what do you think about this? And it, but you know, that's also like it's creating some of the the stuff that that as a DM is so awesome to to experience where it's like if a player really inhabits their character and they like bring it to the table in a, you know, obviously I'm I'm a, a role-playing over uh, combat sort of person, but it but they bring it to the table in a way where it, it makes the other people, and ideally it's not just the characters, but the characters and the players go like, huh? Like, what are you doing? In, in a non-adversarial, non-sort of like, you know, you're not pushing people's buttons. You're just doing something that's that creates some hooks that's interesting, that can give the, the DM a little bit of a rest in terms of, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, player and player conversation. And frankly, to me, when I see that at the table, it's so entertaining. I love to just kind of sit back and and, and watch that type of thing rather than having to do, you know, like a a million different voices and and be the, the only thing that the other player, that the players are actually interacting with. And I like the idea that like, Again, that player handing you that, that's not necessarily a knife, but handing you that to then use later because then after the first couple of times, my, my thought is, okay, I need to have someone that cares about this. Then the next time that they bring it up, the person is like, oh my gosh, that's my favorite. 
And then, you know, having that kind of interaction, what do you think about it yeah. is like the NPC's response because they, they too have seen, you know, seen that passage. Um, and it really speaks to them and then having it go, turning it back on, turning oh, it back on the player and do, do that sort of thing. Okay. I have, this is a total side question that just came to my mind. Cause again, I did, did quite a bit. Once I figured out how to spell Ogma correctly, I, I did a decent amount of research. What are your thoughts and approaches to having Agma's direct engagement with the world? I say that because you have lesser deities who I feel like do a lot more walking around, mm-hmm. um, whereas a deity of this power level, at most, you would probably have an avatar rather, you know, rather than them directly engaging. My thought is always like at scale. So if I think of Agma and I think of that lower level character, they're communing, they're potentially a cleric, potentially a paladin. But once we start to get to higher levels, it's like, okay, so what does that look like if a character was able to engage with an avatar, a direct avatar of Agma? So yeah, I've kind of thrown that, that question your way. Like, how would you set up like an avatar that the players could interact with? Well, I, I think that there's some good guidance on the Forgotten Realms uh, wiki so that, that he has, he's a, a greater god and he's got a number of different apparitions and some avatars he's female and some he's, you know, like a, a handsome, you know, looking bard. In others, it's it's kind of funny. He's like this giant muscly guy wearing no clothes, but completely covered by his long hair and beard. You know, but that's like when he's getting ready for battle, which, you know, seemed very interesting. Um, but but I think that the the key thing for me is like no matter where or how he appears, I think there's a lot of flex there. But there's a there's a phrase in that wiki where it says he tends to overthink things. And so rather than just acting directly, there's like these long convoluted schemes. And what's kind of fun about that is like letting people know at letting the players know at the table, there's this sort of master schemer who's like putting their thumb on the scale. And then it's that move as a, as a DM where it's like you, you drop a couple things and, and then you're taking notes about all of the things that the players are like, Oh my gosh, well, does that mean that the whole time back when, you know, this thing was happening, you know, this was all being, and you're like, could be <laughs> and you're <frantically> taking <laughs> yep. notes. You're like, yes, yes. Retcon. That's, that's exactly what happened. Um, but I think that that you could do a couple things there and it, and also kind of leans into ideally how I like to play, you know, like super geniuses, like, you know, be beholders or, or anything like that, where it's just like, no matter what the players do, you can sort of give yourself the leeway as a DM to be like, okay, well, here's the perfect counter for that because they knew that that was going to happen. Right. (laughs) So you can, you can create those things kind of out of thin air. But I think that the roundabout sort of way getting to things would be kind of interesting. And then making that clear and then having players go like, well, why would they do that? That, that would be kind of the, the initial sort of uh, thing that, that sort of big picture, I would want my players sort of scratching their heads and going like, why wouldn't they just do this directly? And maybe not unwinding that, but, you know, thinking about that as kind of like an uh, omnipresent uh, thing where it's like, you sort of say, Hey, you know, here's a sigil. 
or something like that, 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 that clearly indicates that the, the God was involved here, but in some sort of strange way, or, you know, they find, you know, in, in places that might seem completely unconnected, but when they step back and, and once they kind of understand how the puzzle fits together, like those things come into play, not in a, a way that makes sense, right? But in an overarching way where the God's hand is sort of everywhere. I really like it. <laughs> They're just showing up and be like, oh yeah, I was a part of it the whole time. What's up? <laughs> um, and just like join, joining the, you know, getting at a higher level and them retro, even retconning through an NPC conversation to say, oh, but yeah, I helped with that. And oh, yeah, this was because I did this thing and this. And then having that avatar, you know, potentially join for uh, a larger battle or something like that to yeah. the scales. Uh, but yeah, that'd be, that'd be a super fun way. It's just out of the blue. The, I think those are probably my two. The two options would be super out of the blue or it's all that they've been trying to get done, um, you know, seeking that knowledge to get to that point where the avatar shows up mm-hmm. or the avatar shows up because you find out that all of that scheming has been going on in the background um, and you have just been not necessarily, uh, well, I guess in some to some degree, uh, pawns for this grander scale events going on. Well, and, and uh, like, like, let's say there's a sword or some kind of item that, that features prominently, and maybe it was like something that was discovered through happenstance, or you know, they looted it off the body. And when the god shows up, he's like, oh, "I see you found that sword I left you, right?" Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. or even if you've got the the right person at the table, and they've got like some special item that that came to them, you know, from childhood, they could approach it the same way, right? You know, it's like. Oh, I see you found that sword I left you. Right. And it's it's something they've had their entire life from when they were like, you know, 10 years old. He's like, I knew that would come in handy. I was, thinking, I was trying to remember what the name of it was, but the sword, it has like the defending property and the dancing property were the two I remember. Mm. Uh, but obviously you could like like you're mentioning, you can make it any item that you want. Oh, that's other that's another really fun way to unlock more about an item is that you just don't know. I mean that's kind of how, you know, earlier detect magics and identifies into a greater degree. That's how fifth edition attunement is functioning. The idea that sure you can know that it's a XYZ magic item, but until you actually attune and really learn what that magic item is, you can't do anything with it. And you can layer that out further and further as a way to scale magic items that are important to the character. Mm-hmm. It is that sword that they've had the whole time. And it looks really cool. But little do they know until they do these certain things, it doesn't become the ultimate sword that it is meant to be. Yeah, and you can sort of hand wave the divine magic thing. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you you know, it has this additional property, right? But I think it would be great to do something that they've, they've actually worked with and taken for granted. And then all of a sudden there's new layers being unlocked, which would be kind of fun. Okay, so we have our homework section per usual. And the question is, is there anything that we can think of that a person could go read, they could watch, they could basically interact with um, that would help them learn more about like instances of Agma? Well, I'll take the easy out. I think that the wiki for Agma on the Forgotten Realms fandom.com is, is very robust. So I would say that's, that's a, a good thing in terms of just kind of like getting an overview of what would the appearance be? And depending on how um, 
particular your your characters are with canon, you could start with that and, and kind of play from that. You know, there's it talks about possessions, talks about tactics, talks about divine realm. So all of that stuff that I think would probably be a I mean, it's it's a pretty long read. Um, because and then there's even the sort of switch in terms of you know the the change to the mental state that the god had when the the spell plague came about because he he has this divine uh mandate where he has to decide this is super interesting what is remembered and what is forgotten by the world writ large like what knowledge will sort of you know fade into you know obscurity or or, or become lost lore you know like in the medieval times, you could no longer create arches, right? Because they lost the ability to 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 do that, or or domes. And so, in the Forgotten Realms, it would be Agma that decides that that does occur. Uh, but then, you know, after the spell plague, which I'm not a huge fan of the spell plague, but this is kind of an interesting inflection point for this character in particular. He actually, you know, changes and like can't stand the thought of any knowledge really being lost. And so that could be kind of interesting to, to decide that something needs to go away, but it should be, you know, sequestered somewhere so that it won't really ever fade out. I think mine is just, it, mine is kind of a, a cop out too, but wherever they're hunting something, like think of like your, your favorite book, your favorite comic, your favorite movie where they're seeking out knowledge. Like that's like, that's your best method for transfer, probably transferring into a campaign or even a campaign arc, or even a one-shot, depending, because most of the things you would watch are, you know, in the span of two to three hours at most, and seeking out that further knowledge and doing those sorts of things. I think about, like, Gandalf and going, you know, he's like, wait a minute, I think I know a thing or two about this ring. I'm going to leave for 60 years into the and try and figure it out, and then I'm going to come back and be like, oh, yeah, oh, that is, that is it. But the kind of thing of, yeah, seeking knowledge and Wow, that's I guess it gets super existential that you're seeking knowledge about a deity that is seeking knowledge, and then hopefully you don't get lost in that sauce. But yeah, finding that piece of media is my best advice. So the other thing I have, of course, to ask is where can people go to find all the stuff that you're currently working on on this wide, wide web? So rpgmatch.org, right? So uh, I think you'll get redirected if you go to rpgmatch.com. We 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 got that domain as well but that is the place that that is my my main thing in the ttrpg space we are trying to connect people at tables and so we've got almost nine thousand people that are registered right now across a number of different countries um and you can go in and, and filter by a number of different things uh, we just launched a feature that you can filter for only show people with uh time overlap and so that's kind of an interesting wrinkle in terms of you you describe when you're available, you know, what kind of game you're looking for, what sort of gaming platform you want to use. Uh, you can filter by location. There's a bunch of other stuff, but we're constantly revising that and, and improving that. We refine that into a match score, which is also we're, we're taking feedback and, and getting improvement there. And we're trying to, now that we have a, a, a certain sort of nexus, facilitate more in-person games. And so it's still really a much easier to find people if you're just looking in terms of available time slots. And that can be kind of fun, right? Because you can meet people across different countries or, or different regions because your 
you know, your one o'clock might not be somebody else's one o'clock. Somebody might be a night owl on the East coast and you're an early riser, but you're on the West coast. And so that might be a perfect match if you're not looking for in-person, uh, but yeah, continuing to, to do that. So rpgmatch.org. Uh, we also have uh, reviews that we uh, are paying in the community to, to write up. So TTRPG reviews of, of different games, because we really want to see this be a renaissance in terms of all kinds of different games be available. And so if you're looking for a niche game, if there's a game that's not listed in there, just email me and I'm happy to add that in uh, so that you can find other people that you can play with. There will be, of course, a link in the show notes. And I can confirm RPGmatch.com does transfer you. Um, and yes, thanks for coming on. And I am dead set. We will have you back on. That was great. Thank you so much. We just want to thank Joaquin again for coming on, spending some time with us, talking Agma, talking all kinds of things, and hopefully it was an episode you enjoyed. And of course, if you did, the easiest way to tell us about it is to email us at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. And of course, if you wanted to make sure that everyone knows you liked it, head over to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, leave a rating and review. I hear it helps a lot. Of course, we're on social media at DMS underscore block on Twitter. And we're on Blue Sky, we're on Instagram, Facebook, find us. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. But as always, we want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.